Carter. I'm Eloa. And I'm Erin. And if you don't know three black bitches who love true crime, you do now. This is the I Ain't a Killer podcast. Hey y'all! <laughs> Welcome back. New week, new us. We're back with more crime. Yes, because there's always fucking crime. Always doing shit. Yeah. We're looking forward to the day where we are obsolete and we just talk about the past. Yes, I remember when. Yeah, I remember it was crime. <laughs> are we living in the giver? <laughs> I've never seen that. Uh, I remember the book, but yeah. Uh, Utopia. No, we're living in uh, what is it called? Not San Tropez. What is it from San Jennifer? I would live there. That's where we're living. I'm going to the King King House. (laughs) Wait, when is Black Mirror coming back? Actually, that's the real question. It's never coming back because it's transferred to real life. Yeah, we're in Black Mirror now. Yeah, Mm you might be right. You're on to something. This is random, but did y'all know that in Iceland, everybody has an ID number that you can just publicly look up? I saw something about that. And they were like, it's not, it's not like a, it's not like an incest prevention thing. It's just like a. It's just, you could just you could just look people up and just what information is on there though. I think it's like it might be that number. I don't know. I think it's just like their name and number and like whether or not they're your cut, like what relation they are to you. I think you can look somebody up and be like, oh, where such and such cousin. Yeah. Somehow I made it onto Iceland TikTok. I don't know <laughs> how, but it's so interesting. They're like, let me just tell you that like. The first time I wore shoes in school, I was like 17. And I was like, what? what? Well, I did learn. This is, has nothing to do with anything. Okay. I learned today. Do y'all know how in North Korea and South Korea, how they do ages? Mm-mm. Like when you're born, you're a year old. When you're time. born, you're a year old. And everyone gains a year on January 1st. What? So you could be born on December 31st. You're considered one. And then on January 1st, you're now considered two. So you could be technically two days old. But in North Korea and South Korea, they consider you as two. So everybody gains a year on the same day. So they're not the same age as us. No. Like someone who shares my birthday in North Korea is not the same age as me. Well, I don't know. I'm like, if carry the same age as If me. I ask them what their birthday is, are they going to say January 1st, blah, blah, blah? Like, is that what they say? Well, that's, that's, I, I think you have like problem. your Korean age and like your global age. Yeah. Like that's got to be. Oh, my Korean age is like 37. And then like, my real age is like 32. Yeah. I that's probably what it is. Of it. I would love to hear from some. Yeah, I'm curious. Because I don't want to. That's not something I want to read up on. That's something I want to hear from Hear somebody some from somebody, yeah. So I don't know if we have any listeners in Korea or people who are Korean-American, but please let us know. Yeah, we're curious. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Okay. <laughs> <Crime>. Right. <laughs> okay. Are you reading it? Oh, sure. Oh, sorry. No. I went into a dead stare. <laughs> um, so our current crime this week is going to be an update on the Shanquilla Robinson case. And this is an article from, yes, well, I won't say the date, April 18th, 2023. And it's titled Shanquilla Robinson's family considering civil lawsuit after U.S. authorities say they aren't charging anyone in her death. The family of Shanquilla Robinson is outraged after learning U.S. law enforcement will not charge anyone with her death. This decision has left them left them to consider a civil lawsuit in hopes of justice. TMZ spoke to the mother and sister of the deceased about how their family is coping after a decision by U.S. officials to close the case on their loved one's death with no one being held accountable. 
The Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department and the Charlotte sector of the FBI handled the case with authorities in Cabo, Mexico. The 25-year-old's mother, Salamandra, and her sister, Quella, are as devastated as they are confused. They revealed to TMZ the results of the investigations completed in the U.S. and Mexico were vastly different. Um, her death while on vacation in Cabo San Lucas in October 2022 resulted in two autopsies. According to the one there, Mexican officials reported her cause of death was severe spinal cord injury and instability of her vertebrae. The outlet added this suggested the young woman experienced trauma. The family told TMZ the U.S. authorities did their autopsy once Robinson's body was shipped home. According to the outlet, they admitted there was still, quote, swelling in her brain, but reported the cause of death was, quote, inconclusive. The widely circulated video of Robinson being attacked showed her being punched in the head and dropped on her neck. So the family feels the Mexican officials' theory is the most logical. Blavity reported that the family's legal team is being led by famed civil rights attorney Ben Crump and Sue Ann Robinson. No relation. After the ruling, Sue Ann stated the U.S. officials relying on their less acute and delayed autopsy is, quote, a discrepancy that has yet to be properly explained. Sue Ann told TMZ that justice for Shanquilla was not served at the fault of the U.S. prosecutors. She added the family is not accepting the decision of the investigation and said they will continue to seek ways to pursue criminal charges. The family has previously met with President Joe Biden and will continue to pursue his intervention and press other government officials for assistance in getting the answers they deserve. Getting the U.S. Attorney's Office involved is the next step needed to reopen Robinson's case criminally. TMZ reported the family was offered the option to exhume her body for a third opinion, which they state is still an option. Family members are also not ruling out taking civil legal action against the individuals that vacationed with her. They know the friends last seen with her before her death and believe they know more than they told officials. I, I think it's interesting because... I mean, I never specifically thought of it, but yeah, why does the U.S. willing to end the case just based off of their autopsy that happened, like, weeks or however long after the original one? And why is it so different? Right. Right. And why is that even allowed? I feel like that shouldn't be, like, legal. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's very weird. Um, but I agree that, like, the friends definitely know way more than they, what they're saying. Yes. And they should at least be, like, heavily investigated, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Oh, it's so sad. It's I hope horrible. that something happens in Mexico. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it seems like it, President Biden is trying to do something. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know enough about that part of this, but, yeah. I mean, maybe I this can change. Him. Yeah. Um, maybe he's able to like change decisions. I don't know. I didn't even know presidents could get involved in shit like that. I thought maybe FBI at the highest, but I mean, maybe him meeting with the family was at least giving it like, um, attention yeah. gain traction. And so that like the authorities know, Oh, this is on the president's radar. Yeah. Like, we need to come correct. Like yeah. we can't just use it, like not take this seriously. Yeah. <sighs> this is this story is just truly awful and yeah. just yeah every time we talk about it yeah, yeah. I, I really hope the next updates are better than this because no charges at all like not even like negligence or I don't know some sort of misconduct or something I don't know but they, them friends know something they can't just get up like there's video of the girl being assaulted yeah and then she's dead mm-hmm. yeah and the injuries are clearly like recorded in the video. Like that, yeah. that has to be where it came from. And why is y'all's autopsy happen. literally the opposite of the one from Mexico? Yeah. Right. 
if it if their autopsy showed that um what does it say that she had a severe spinal cord injury yeah that i feel like that's not something that just goes away Mm -hmm. it absolutely isn't yeah and instability of her vertebrae that means her her spinal's fucked up yeah that should have shown up in the u.s autopsy as well yeah yeah it's definitely some shifty shit going on yeah well we'll keep y'all updated as things come up um and then we'll be back with our main story All right, y'all, we are back. Um, I'm doing the main story today. This is Aaron. And I guess I'm going to round us out, finish us up with the Lady of the Dunes verse that we've been doing. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of how it's been. <laughs> For all these people to have connections to this murder is so wild. Yeah, yeah. it really is. So this, um, this story today is about Tony Costa and he was also a suspect in the murder of the lady of the dunes. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later, but that is how we came across his case. And, um, here we go. So some content warnings, assault, Underage marriage, domestic violence, excessive drug use, dismemberment, extreme bodily mutilation, mention of necrophilia, and mention of suicide. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Ooh, necrophilia. Not part two. Oh, okay, let's go. Okay, so Tony Costa was born Anton Charles Costa on August 2nd, 1944 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He was a Leo. So there wasn't a lot of information about his childhood. Have we ever had a Leo? I don't think so. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't be too. We don't be too deep. <laughs> Please, if I Google it right now, it probably is. Let me look at my fantasy. <laughs> and that's where Leo's usually live. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot about his childhood um but we do know that as a baby his father died in world war ii which is important to note because when tony turned seven he started complaining to his mother that there was a man entering his room at night and they eventually were able to get tony to identify this man as his father so basically tony was seeing a spirit a ghost oh. of his father in his room. Oh, oh my God. God. That's so sad. Yeah. And his dad had died when he was a baby. So he didn't really have like a really close relationship, but I guess his dad was visiting him. Jeez. There's nothing else about that. Like that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the story, but interesting little tidbit. That is. That's very interesting. So like I said, there wasn't any other information about his childhood. So we're going to jump to his later teenage years to the first time that he committed a crime. So one night in November of 1961, Tony was 17. He broke into his neighbor's apartment. One of the occupants of the apartment was a 16-year-old girl who woke up to Tony bending over her bed. She immediately screamed and he ran away. But three days later, he, I guess, got the courage to break back into the same apartment. But this time, he didn't get scared away. He dragged her from her room down to the basement of the apartment. Luckily, the neighbors saw her, heard her, and all the commotion that was happening, and they intervened, and they were able to stop um, whatever Tony was planning on doing. And um, 
the neighbors were able to explain to the police and identify uh, Tony as the person who did this crime. So Tony was charged and convicted of burglary and assault, and he received three years of probation with one year suspended sentence. So a suspended sentence means that the court basically orders that the sentence that you get is going to be deferred until after you do your probation period. Mm -hmm. So as long as you don't break the law and you fulfill all of your probation conditions, usually they consider the sentence to be fulfilled. So you won't have to do your whatever sentence you're charged with. Mm -hmm. But if you do break the law or you don't, you know, do whatever terms of your probation, then you have to serve that sentence. And then whatever additional sentence for whatever crimes you did. Mm -hmm. So, um, Tony didn't have to do the sentence. He got through the three years probation, whatever. In April of 1963, at the age of 18, Tony Costa met a 14 year old girl who he married and they had three children. Wait, how old? 14. What? And Tony was 18. This is in 63. 1963. What? Yeah. How the fuck do you marry a 14 year old? Legally. I, I want to assume that the laws can date an 18 year old here in Georgia. Oh. because of the Romeo and Juliet laws. It's like a four-year window of teenage years that you're like allowed to date your quote-unquote peers. But at no time during your teens is somebody four years older than you on the same level that you're mentally. Not person. at all. 14 to 18? No. Even like, okay, that's like a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old. Like, it's the same. Yeah. No. They're never going to be on the same level. Right. Mm-hmm. And they also had three children together. Ew. Yeah. Bruce. Their marriage was not great. Like, it was just bad from the jump. And they, there was a lot of extensive drug use that happened. It resulted in a lot of violence. And it was reported that the drugs, like, there was just a lot of weird and irresponsible behavior going on. They didn't mention anything to do with the children, but that's kind of, when I hear irresponsible, I feel like maybe mm-hmm. they weren't taking care of these kids as well okay. as, yeah. as they could have been. Because she was a fucking kid. Yeah, she was a right. kid having kids, and now there's drugs involved, people are acting strange, there's violence involved. Like, no way that was a healthy home. Right. So in June of 1966, Tony is now 21. He brings home two young women who were traveling across America at the time. They were hitchhiking. And their names were Bonnie Williams and Diane Federoff. So Tony had picked them up while they were hitchhiking, and he promised that he was going to take them to Pennsylvania on his way to California. So he left. They all left. I'm sorry. They all left together to go to Pennsylvania, where he said. But when Tony returned home 10 days later, there was no sign of Bonnie or Diane. And those women were never seen again. Oh my God. I'm confused. Wait, so he left to take them to Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. but nobody in Pennsylvania or nobody in other Okay. Mm-mm. I thought you meant like they weren't home. I was like, okay. No, they were, they were never found again. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, Tony later told police that he drove these women to Hayward, California instead of Pennsylvania, but they weren't found there either. So mm-hmm. that was a lie. And these two women are believed to be his first victims. And it's like, why is it your sole responsibility to get them around? It's not. This drop them off at a bus station. Right. Oh, that's weird. So a year later in August of 1967, while hiking in the Troa, this word is so hard for me to say. (laughs) It's spelled T-R-U-R-O. 
Truro? Truro. That sounds right. <laughs> I was struggling, so I'm like, you said that. <laughs> So, um, while hiking in the Truro Woods, it's near Provincetown in Massachusetts, Tony shot a woman with an arrow. An arrow? Yes. The fuck in the Hunger Games is that? That's what I'm saying. You know how diabolical you gotta be to pull an, uh, an arrow? Cock your arm back and shoot somebody. Is this the walking dead? So, this is an acquaintance that was on the hike with him, and he claims that he that the the incident was an accident. Okay, Dick Cheney. And he apologized to this woman, and they just moved forward from that. No. <laughs> Who did Dick Cheney shoot? He shot, he shot Bush? Um, I can't remember. I feel like it was like his assistant or something. I don't know. So by early 1968, the marriage was truly like really in shambles. It had gotten really bad. Tony had gone to California in um, January and he decided to stay in an area of San Francisco called Height Ashbury District. And it was known for just having a lot of people coming in and out, a lot of people participating in counterculture, a lot of drugs, that type of thing. Mm. He started dating a woman named Barbara Spaulding. And she actually decided to leave her children with her relatives to be with Tony. What's we keep doing these stories where women leave their children with somebody else to go leave these niggas. Not that this not that this means anything, but apparently Tony had a uh, reputation of being like a cool guy. He was handsome. Like the ladies loved him. Blah 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 blah. All right, <laughs> not the cool guy. Yeah, apparently he was like I don't know, attractive. That type of thing. So she had left her children or her child to be with him. But the day that Tony had decided to go back to Massachusetts, Barbara vanished and she was never seen again. What? No, I'm kidding. So she's believed to be his third victim. Damn. And he hasn't even been taken in for question Mm-mm. or anything? No. That's why it's like he believed to be because there's no... They don't have evidence or like an investigation that ties him to them, but because of the story, we pretty much know. Like, who else would it be? Yeah. So on May seventeenth, Tony was caught for burglarizing a doctor's office. Like he was stealing surgical instruments and drugs and stuff that were valued up to five thousand um, dollars. That kind of comes into play later. Like he could potentially have been using these things that he stole in his crimes, but it also just kind of shows that he was just doing a lot. He's always like, whenever you come back from describing somebody that he was involved with who disappeared, it's like he doing some random shit. Yeah. Literally like shooting somebody with an arrow. That's right. so fucking random. Let me go bur- burglarize this doctor's office right quick. Like he, he just needed to do something. Yeah. Yeah. So about a leak, uh, a leak, about a week later after he did the doctor's office stuff on March 24th, 1968, Sydney Monson, who at the time was 18 years old, vanished from her home in Provincetown, Massachusetts. So her disappearance was reported to the police on June 14th, and she was actually last seen getting into a car with Tony Costa and just disappeared. He got a, um, a like a... 50s gangster name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And his real name is Anton. Yeah. It's really giving gangster. <laughs> you know, like Sopranos. Yeah. But I also looked him up and this whole cool guy handsome shit is like, oh, wait. Okay. Okay, I'm back. Yeah, this whole cool guy handsome shit is like, oh, did people, did people just have, they, they 
gotten better. Like, I don't know. Or did, did somebody learn how to draw and, like, now people look better or something? Because whenever <laughs> we do these, they're like, oh, yeah, so-and-so is so handsome and so charming. Oh, and I look at the picture. Actually I'm like, not. I'm like, uh-uh, no. I think maybe, like, the standards were different back then. Had to be. I don't know. Or, like, beauty standards were just different. So, like, different types of people were attractive. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But he was, like, I mean, um... He was kind of, like, well-trusted in his community. Like, a lot of people... You know how stories get sensationalized? Like, they pick one detail, and, like, mm-hmm. that's the big headline. A lot of people call him, like, the babysitter because he used to babysit kids in his area. Mm-hmm. And, like, they were trusted. Like, the kids loved him. He was, like... I guess he was just the type of person that people wanted to be around. Mm-hmm. And that's how he was able to get all these people to, like, be close with him. All shade. I would never let a man watch my kids. No, no, no. <laughs> never in my life. <laughs> no, all shade. Yes, never all in my shade. fucking life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. So, I don't know. But Sydney Monson is his potential fourth victim. So, Tony and his wife officially got divorced in August of that year, and he moved in with his new girlfriend named Susan Perry. But... Within a week, she had vanished. (laughs) And um, when friends asked him what happened to Susan, he told them that she had gone to Mexico. And that was it. No (laughs) no more Susan Perry. Oh, She's just up and went to Mexico a week after. In mid-September, Tony was arrested for driving with a suspended license. Remember, you just said it. In between these things. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. He was arrested for driving with a suspended license, and later that month he was picked up for not paying his child support. And they held him in jail from September 25th to November 8th. And it's so interesting that they had this guy who probably just killed four different women, mm-hmm. and they didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Four suspended for child support. So immediately after he was released for that, he started spending time with Christine Gallant. And both Tony and Christine were members of the counterculture of the time. They pretty much spent all their time doing heavy drugs. On November 23rd, 1968, Christine was found dead in her bathtub from a barbiturates overdose. And this is possibly Tony's fifth victim. Oh, my goodness. What are barbiturates? Is this? Is like tranquilizer? Don't give me the line. Let me look it up. Opioids, maybe? Any class of sedative and sleep-inducing drugs derived from barbituric acid. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you for that um, definition. Because I've heard it before, okay, but so I just didn't know. Whenever I think barbiturics, I don't know why I think of heart medication at home. I know that's so wrong. <laughs> On January 24th, 1969, Patricia Walsh and Mary Ann Wisoski were... Um, Going on a vacation, they're both young women, age 23, and they decided to go to Cape Cod for the weekend mm. and um, go to a vacation home. They had driven up from Rhode Island in, in Patricia's light blue Volkswagen van, and when they checked in, the landlady introduced them to a young local man who was also staying in the home, and it was Tony. Oh. Yeah. Yikes. So the morning after the women arrived at the house, the landlady noticed that there was a note on their door and the note said, quote, could you possibly give me a ride to, oh no, Truro? (laughs) (laughs) It's not the, oh no, it was the pronunciation. (laughs) I thought something happened in the story. That's so hard to say. My goodness. (laughs) It says, could you possibly give me a ride to Truro early in the morning? And it was signed Tony. 
Mm-mm. That afternoon, a witness spotted Tony with two two women in a light colored Volkswagen, last seen driving toward Truro. And both of the women ended up missing an appointment that they had scheduled for later on that day. Yikes. The next day, the landlady found another note on Patricia and Marianne's room saying, quote, we are checking out. Thank you for your many kindnesses. And it was signed Marianne and Pat. The note was written on the same type of paper as the note from the other guy. And all of their belongings were gone from their room. Um, So as suspected, the women didn't return home for their weekend in Cape Cod and their families immediately contacted the police and the police just got right on it and started investigating their disappearances. And on February 2nd, 1969, Patricia's Volkswagen was spotted parked in a wooded area near um, Pine Grove Cemetery in Truro. And now the police kind of have an idea of where they should be searching. Yeah, these um, these woods. I know should should be on main hotspot anyways because wooded areas where you bring people. Yeah, I think we were doing one story. It might have been mine. It was about somebody who was killing people while they were like hiking. I forget what it was. The one that was in it was like in the UK or something. Yeah, I think so. I remember that one. But it just feels like there's got to be a way to make like hiking trails more safe. Yeah. So I actually enjoy hiking, but it's terrifying, especially yeah. by yourself. Yeah, I do not enjoy hiking, but I oh. think that people should be able to do it safely. <laughs> I just don't know how we do that without intruding on like the things that make hiking enjoyable for yeah. people, like the serenity, the lack of like technology Tech, yeah and, lights and cameras and surveillance like that. yeah surveillance yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah i was gonna say wait hold on my mic is being weird oh no we gotta get you a new cord yeah. every week i say i'm gonna get a new one <laughs> uh, okay uh-huh. i was gonna say i think surveillance is one of the i think is the only answer unless because i mean Unless you, like, make it to where people have to, like, sign in before they go to the trail or whatever. Yeah. Like, if there's any other way to get on the trail, there's no, there's nothing you do except surveillance. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So, on February 8th, 1969, an officer was searching the woods near the Old Truro Cemetery for any evidence that would help with um, finding Patricia and Marianne. So, they noticed, like, an indentation in the ground, and they are like, oh, that's weird, like a little disturbance, and they started digging. They pretty quickly came across a bag that contained dismembered body parts. Yeah. The body had been cut into eight pieces. But um, to everyone's surprise, the body was neither Patricia nor Mary Ann. It was actually Susan Perry, Tony's old girlfriend, who, according to him, had gone to Mexico five months earlier. Around the same time that they discovered Susan Perry's body, the police had started to question Tony about Patricia and Marianne's disappearance. And he was being really strange. He started to become frantic and he was giving inconsistent answers. They were like, hmm, you're suspicious. (laughs) And on March 3rd, a telegram for Tony arrived at his mom's house in Provincetown. And the telegram said, quote, what happened? We We waited as planned. Is everything all right? We'll meet you as scheduled. New York City. Love, Pat, and Marianne. So this telegram was 
for Tony at his mother's house. But investigators were quickly able to determine that the telegram had originated from New York City, but it was tied to a number that Costa had access to that Tony had right. access to. So it was likely him who sent himself the trying telegram. Trying to throw them off. Right, trying to throw them off to make it seem like the girls were in New York or whatever. I guess. Also, telegram, well. <laughs> right. <laughs> antique (laughs) stop (laughs) so as police continue to search the Truro woods they are able to unearth more remains so on March 5th 1969 which is just 25 days after they found Susan's body Susan Perry's dismembered body police found a torso Mm -hmm. and a severed head who Mm Sorry. <laughs> no, it's gross. Yeah, no, it's gross. It's and gross. It's like how all of these kills have the propensity to, to do how that. How do you do yeah. that? Yeah. How do you get through it? And what tools do you... I don't want to know, but this like, what the fuck? Yeah. Ooh. Do they go to the fucking murder store? Because like... Right. What what can saw through spinal cords and right. bones and... That's, that doesn't yeah. have a baby registered. Like, that's so weird. Yeah. So they found a torso and a severed head, and um, they were ever able to identify the severed head as belonging to Marianne Wasowski. Mm. Less than a mile and a half from where Susan Perry was discovered in a forest clearing was the rest of Marianne's body and the body of Patricia Walsh. This is a fucking theme park at this point for him. Mm-hmm. So some more content warnings for some really, really gross shit. Patricia Walsh Walsh, I'm sorry, had been cut in half at the waist. This is really, really bad, y'all. What I'm about to say. Oh okay, it's really gross. Not what you just said? No, 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 that's bad. But this is even worse. Do you, should I just skip it? All right, y'all. We'll be right back after we pay some bills. Are you a huge cunt? Us too. Wait, can we even say cunt? Of course. It's empowering these days. Cunt, 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 cunt. I'm Ange Balasone, a.k.a. the drag queen, Fat Girl Gina. And I'm Mike Fails, just a normal gay guy, I guess? And we're the hosts of The Big Cunty Couch, a gorgeous new talk show podcast where we invite queers and peers to sit, bitch, and be fierce on a huge-ass couch while we gab about all things gay. So come get cozy and cunty with us. We're pan for platforms, so find us anywhere online and get listening, sweetie. Or watching. Or both. Otherwise, why the hell am I in full drag? And we'll see you on The Big Oh, wait. I thought we were going to say that together. No. (laughs) On the big c***y couch. I mean, you done built up the anticipation. That's what I'm saying. Now I gotta know. Okay, skip ahead five seconds if you don't want to hear it. Her skin was peeled off of her chest. Oh my god. Sorry, Melissa. In like a sweater. And it was only attached to her shoulders. Should I take it out? I mean, you definitely gave the trigger warning. I just don't understand how you even do that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't understand. It's like I'm so confused as to how the fuck a person does that. Oh my god. I didn't end up watching the documentary after I read these because you did. No, you didn't. I didn't want to. No. It's like the articles are more than enough. You okay? Yeah. So um, beneath Patricia Walsh, beneath Patricia. Catch this the That shit was wild. That shit was really wild. It threw me. I'm like, what am I even talking about anymore? 
Beneath Patricia Walsh was the dismembered and decomposed body of Sydney Monson. So Sydney was an 18-year-old woman who was last seen getting into the car with Tony Costa. And at this point, she had been missing for almost a year. Mm-hmm. A coroner determined that both Mary Ann and Patricia, which was the um, pair of women who went on vacation in Cape Cod, they had both died from gunshot wounds to the head and the neck. And a 22 caliber pistol was found buried close by, which it was later identified as Tony Costa's gun. The coroner also determined that there was evidence of necrophilia. Ugh. Ugh. So gross. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to get into it. It's just gross. (laughs) So the discovery of the bodies was a huge, huge, huge sensation to the public. And... Funny enough, the district attorney at the time, he was named Edmund Dynas. He heightened the sensationalism by the way that he explained the story, which, I mean, I don't know people's motives, but weird. Mm -hmm. So Edmund Dynas basically turned the case into a media firestorm. He said at a press conference, quote, the hearts of each girl had been removed from the bodies and were not in the graves, nor were they found. A razor-like device was found near the graves. Each body was cut into as many parts as there were joints. He also said that there were teeth marks that were found on the bodies. So a reporter responded back to Dinah saying, was this the work of a Cape Cod vampire? And Dinah nodded. So this is why... So my, my, my guy said no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah. Because he just wanted attention. Yeah. Because uh-huh. there is no other good reason for saying that. Yeah, None. None. Like, what? And that's the reason why Ta- Tony Costa is known as the Cape Cod Vampire. But, which is interesting, in a lot of these things that he said were not true. So the hearts were not removed, although there were some organs that weren't there. Um, Why would he do? If I was one of the family members, I would I be know. so pissed. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, the district attorney, like, are you? Is how is that legal? It shouldn't be. Like, he should absolutely have like lost his license and his job. Mm-hmm. So the hearts weren't removed, but there were organs that had been removed from at least one of the bodies. There was no cutting device found, so they didn't find any razor or anything anywhere near the bodies. And. Um, the amount, like him saying that there were as many body parts as there were joints, not true. That's not even possible. There also isn't any evidence that there were teeth marks on the bodies. So the whole vampire thing, not what it is. I mean, it's still it's still horrific, but it's not accurate. Uh-huh. Tony was later found in possession of Patricia Walsh's Volkswagen van, and they learned about how the women had met him in um, Cape Cod. He claimed that he had bought the van from them before they went to Canada. All right. And he presented like this makeshift bill of sale, like piece of paper with like mm-hmm. Marianne and Patricia are selling their van to Tony Cut like bullshit. It just doesn't feel that smart to me. No. Because why the fuck would they sell their van and then just disappear? But yeah. it also is like uh, evidence of the times that he has had at this point what four girlfriends mm-hmm. that are missing right and like, there's no connections being made every bitch that they shoot just disappears off the face of the planet right exactly like that would never well i hope that that wouldn't be able to happen today but yeah no i feel like not a community no because all it takes is like one last like 
Oh, his girlfriend went missing. It's like, ooh. It's also like, oh. you know, um, most of these women that went missing had families uh-huh, that were right. looking for them. So if it, it if we're looking at it as something that would have happened in today's time. The Facebook group, the would have been going up. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been a possibility of this. So the police also found the um the van's owner's manual with Tony's prints on them. But Tony Costa was ultimately arrested on suspicion of murder when the detectives learned this was like what pushed them to actually arrest him. The burial site of Patricia Walsh, Sydney Monson, and the body parts of Marianne Wasowski were located on Tony Costa's private garden where he grew weed and stashed drugs. So the burial spots were literally on his property. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. He wanted to get caught eventually. You know? I feel like he kind of did. He wanted to. He wanted every one of his hangout spots to be a gold mine of evidence because ain't no fucking way. Right. So that pushed them to arrest him, and he's now in police custody. He gave a lot of different confessions while police were testing or um, in, interrogating him, and a lot of the confessions were found not to be true because he gave them while being hooked up to a polygraph. And he failed the polygraphs. <laughs> I don't believe in polygraph tests. No. Because there's ways to get around them. But why do you... I mean, I understand the logical reasons that have been explained for why serial killers will claim other murders. But, like, just fucking stop. Like, you've done enough. Yeah. Like, more than enough. He also tried to implicate two of his friends in the murders. That's weird. He basically just said that they were the ones who did it. Which, Aww. damn, you're shitty friend. Isn't it because they be trying to make, like, their impact way bigger than it actually is? They yeah. just like the attention. Mm-hmm. Like, and they want to, like, talk and be sensationalized and be known, go down in history. Like, you're fucking weirdo. Like, you already did murders, though. Like, just claim your own murder. You, you killed yeah. four women. You're already going to be in history books for that. <laughs> right. On March 31st, he had his first psychiatric exam that resulted in the diagnosis of schizoid personality. And three months later, another psychiatrist characterized Tony as a, quote, sexually dangerous man capable of murder. Which, I mean, true. On July 12th, 1969, Tony Costa confessed to the murder to the murder of Mary Wasowski. And his trial started on May 6th of 1970. And he was arraigned on three charges, but he was only um, at the trial. He was only brought to charges involving Mary Ann and Patricia, which was weird as fuck to me because they were found in the same burial site as Sydney. And it's just weird. But apparently prosecutors had a reason. They said that they wanted to only pursue charges that they knew that they could um, put Tony in jail for. And their plan was to come back and go to trial for the other victims on a later date. So Tony's um, lawyers attempted to plead insanity. They said that he had been a heavy drug user, which was hampering his rational thinking, but Tony wasn't cool with that. He didn't want people to think that he was quote unquote crazy. Mm-hmm. So at the conclusion of the trial, he gave a speech and it was rational. It was coherent. It was intelligent. And the jury was like, he's perfectly sane. <laughs> and he did that shit. Which is so interesting. I think it goes along with him and these serial killers and stuff wanting to be 
note noted like in history he's like no i am intelligent i need everyone to know that and i'd rather die in prison behind it right than be called insane (laughs) and for you to not think i'm a capable serial killer Mm -hmm. right so like oh he knows what the fuck he's doing send him to jail (laughs) so he was ultimately convicted of two counts of murder he was sentenced to life in prison at massachusetts walpole correctional institution while he was incarcerated, he began to stock his cell with books on ritual magic and the occult. No. <laughs> immediately. No. Immediately. <laughs> Not the occult. <laughs> oh. He also never confessed to the killings. And the closest he came to admitting that he was involved in the killings was a novel that he wrote while he was in jail called Resurrection. Please. Costa claimed that him and his friend Carl were out with Patricia and Marianne doing LSD and opioids. He said that Carl shot the women, claiming that he was able to subdue Carl, and when Tony realized that Marianne was still alive, he used a knife to end her suffering. No. Tony also said that him and Corey buried the bodies, and the novel also describes the deaths of Susan Perry and Sidney Monson as as drug overdoses. Tony says that it was Carl who dismembered them after they died and buried their bodies in that Tony had no knowledge of them, of their deaths until after all of this had happened. So police and investigators were never able to find a Carl that was connected to Costa. And a lot of people believe that Tony was using Carl as like an alter ego mm-hmm. of himself. Like he was talking about himself, but he was pushing it to another person. So it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I believe, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, sounds sounds about right. That also sounds similar to what was the guy's name who Gabby Petito was involved with, and he said that like she was suffering basically because she had been injured because they were trying to fuck. Yeah, like mm. didn't he say he put her in her misery too? Yeah, something similar. Yep. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So that's I don't know. That's weird. That you would do all of that instead of just getting her help. Yeah, also just not the authority on when or how that should happen. Exactly. Like, what? I'm going to put her out of... Like, let the doctors do that. Doctors have, like, you know, systems that they answer to before they make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also, like, not that this is okay, but if you're going to put somebody out of their misery, why are you using a knife? Exactly. That's That's pretty more misery. Yeah. Yeah. So, on... May 12th of 1974, a corrections officer was making the rounds in the jail, and they discovered Tony Costa's lifeless body hanging by a belt from the upper bars of his cell, and he was 29 at the time. His official cause of death was asphyxiation by hanging, and it was determined to be a death by suicide, but... There are a lot of people that question if he truly died by suicide and they speculate that he was murdered by other people that were incarcerated with him. And apparently he had this habit of like lecturing the other folks that were um, incarcerated with him about their drug use. Please. (laughs) And they were just not fucking with it. And I guess he was like routinely assaulted and just like beaten on constantly. So there there's, you know, questions about what his, how his death really happened. And because of Tony's death, the trial for the other victims that the lawyers were planning oh, on wasn't able to happen. Damn, I hate that for their family. Me yeah, too. that sucks. So between the years of 1966 and 1989, I'm sorry, 1966 and 1969, 
So three years. Tony is suspected to have killed eight women. And we talked about them all here, but their names are Bonnie Williams, Diane Federoff, Barbara Spalding, Sydney Monson, Susan Perry, Christine Gallant, Patricia Walsh, and Marianne Wasowski. And Tony Costa's garden, the one where all those women were buried, mm-hmm. is now a tourist trap. <gasps> People will go to the location of the garden to try to see if they can find anything that the police missed. That's weird. People That's that are so like obsessed weird. with this case, obsessed with this murder. That's so I weird. hate that. And that is the story of Tony Costa, the Cape Cod vampire. Oh, and also, so his connection to the Lady of the Dunes was he was a suspect because he was in the area he was doing the killings in the same area, Provincetown, Massachusetts. But the reason why he was quickly eliminated was because he had died a few months before the Lady of the Dunes would have been killed. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Damn. he didn't do it. He did all this other shit. He came back from the dead with his occult magic. Yeah, that's oh. what it's giving. Yeah, so that is Tony Costa. That just makes me feel so fucking bad for the Lady of the Dunes. Or Ruth Mary. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Because yeah. even though he didn't do it, she was still like, it's just so many George people did. around her. Yes. Done that shit. And that's scary as fuck. To think like how many... How many people are in Georgia? Yes. In Atlanta there. I mean, it's weird to think because, I mean, so this is just one Lady of the Dunes, Ruth Marie Terry was just one person in one place at one specific time. And Mm -hmm. she has had, what, three different serial killers connected to her. So I can only imagine, like, it's even scary to think about, like, at this moment, Mm -hmm. like, how many people in this surrounding area you know, are involved yeah. in this type of shit. Like, it's exactly. scary. Yeah. It's terrifying. I mean, even the ABC murders. Yeah. All those different people that could have possibly been involved because there were just, like, ten serial killers running around at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. It's like they made a career out of it or something. Mm-hmm. I also think it's interesting that Tony is known as the Cape Cod Vampire, and that's not even what he did. At all. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Nothing to do with right. what he did. There are a lot of different um, documentaries and books and stuff about him, if y'all want to if y'all are interested in um, looking into it, but yeah, that's what we got. Wow. I think that's going to wrap up the lady of the dunes for us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for starting that uh, domino. You're welcome. I didn't expect it, but I'm glad it led led us to some interesting stuff. Yeah. All right, y'all we'll um, be back with some, should this be a crime? Should this be a crime? Alright. We are going to get into Should This Be a Crime with... <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing at this earlier. <laughs> when Carter said it, I'm going to try to... Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to tighten up. Viral video shows airplane passenger yelling about a crying baby on the flight. A video of a man on Southwest Airlines flight to Florida. That's <laughs> everything in Florida. Right, everything. Berating flight attendants and fellow passengers is making the rounds on the internet. The now viral clip, which has racked up more than 134,000 views on TikTok, shows a man screaming at a flight attendant for a crying baby on the plane in a video titled Belligerent Passenger Causes Diversion. 
For three minutes of the nearly four-minute video, a fellow passenger records the passenger's tirade directed towards two flight attendants. Today, it does not uh, independently know what occurred before the moments captured on video. The, uh, the angry man, who was not identified in the clip, uses profanity more than 20 times toward the Southwest crew and fellow passengers to express his disgust in a baby crying. You're yelling, one flight attendant says to the angry passenger. So is the baby. <laughs> the upset man. You're says, lying. That is not what he said. While his seatmate places their head in their hands. <laughs> the video, which was originally shared on TikTok, has been reshared on both Twitter and Instagram. I always wonder, like, do you think the parents were caring? Want a crying child? Obviously, no. One, uh, wrote one on uh, who commented on TikTok. Uh, we are hyper aware that our child is screaming. One Twitter user said, if you can't handle the sound of a crying baby or a toddler, maybe air travel or being in public isn't for you. Personally, I'd be embarrassed by my inability to cope with something so basic that happens all the time. But I just believe that, but I just believe that's part of being a functioning adult. While many views expressed outrage at the man's behavior, others were sympathetic. Why should the rest of us have to be subjected to the crappy behavior of other people's kids? Honestly, if a kid can't behave on a flight, it doesn't belong on it. What the? Huh? Another, another tweet. Apparently, this baby slash toddler was going at it for the better part of an hour. That's a long time to deal with that. A representative for Southwest Airlines responded Tuesday to this uh, with a statement. We do not have details on this flight to share but commend our flight crew for their professionalism and uh, offer our apologies to the other customers on, on board. It's not the first time this week social media has been split over airplane decorum. Um, and then they go to tell us like some other story or whatever. Um, and then that's it. I have several, several thoughts. <laughs> I'll start by saying that a baby crying is not crappy behavior. No. Mm-hmm. Babies fucking cry. That's the only way they can Planes are loud and scary. Yeah. Air pressure changes yes. after they're feeling things in their little tiny baby bodies mm-hmm. that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing anyone can do. They about can't that. regulate their ear pressure like we can. Yeah. Like they're fucking babies. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I love how people like get so comfortable with elitism, but Planes are public transportation. Yeah. So just like a baby might cry on a bus, a baby might cry on a plane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, if you hate it that fucking much, then, I don't know, get into crypto or something and buy a fucking private jet. But (laughs) babies and people who have children deserve to be able to travel Mm -hmm. to the places that they need to go via airfare. Exactly. That's just the end of that. Three... You are a grown ass man who cannot regulate his emotions and you're yelling at a baby. Mm-hmm. Like you knew you was going to be on a flight. If it's that deep and I understand that people get overloaded, like sensory overload is a thing. I deal with that myself. A baby crying for an hour would absolutely have me ready to rip my hair out, but I'm not going to yell at anybody about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring my noise canceling headphones mm-hmm. and my Xanax mm-hmm. and order a whiskey soda and go to sleep. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You grown. First of all, people get real cozy talking to workers. Yes. And flight, flight attendants specifically. Too. Really? Yeah. What are they supposed to do? They, they can literally beat your ass in air and they probably, I mean, I don't know the 
rules as far as like each airline and stuff like that. But I'm pretty sure everybody's gonna be on their side right. yes. and beat your ass yeah. because you're getting real sideways with these people, and it's like they don't even have no control over that. Right. And then a baby, yes, absolutely, a baby screaming for the better half of an hour would make me want to fucking kill myself. Like yeah. that's just being real. Yeah. But at the same time, that's not the the, the, the parents are feeling way worse than you. Yes. They 100%. are so fucking embarrassed. If I got yeah. a baby on board, I'm the one who brought that baby. Yeah. Everybody else trying to sleep and I don't know watch fucking minions on the whatever yeah. TVs that, on the seats and then my baby just screaming their fucking head off because I can't teach them to blow their nose to get rid of their ear pressure yeah right. they gonna be fucking screaming yeah. until you descend so yeah. like you just have to have that type of empathy and like you said it's it's public transportation you're not on your own private jet you're not in first class yeah you're not on some you're not on Air Force One or whatever the fuck right. so take what you can get and and understand that like people gonna be traveling with their babies just like they would anywhere else I don't know they're just I don't know it, it, the, the way they described it in the article was real funny but that type of behavior just I don't know it just I don't know. It's ridiculous. Because men like to think of themselves as the pinnacle of emotional regulation and like decorum. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't handle a baby crying. Yeah. Sir. You are literally having a temper tantrum because a baby's having a temper tantrum. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's not going to make it any easier. What they going to do? Throw the baby out the window? (laughs) <laughs> what is the solution here? What do right. you want them to smother the baby? That's what I'm saying. I mean, clear, clearly the parents are, I'm sure they're doing whatever they can because the baby's crying because the baby needs something mm-hmm. or is it not comfortable mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, I'm sure the parents are tending to the baby as well as they can. Right. You screaming your head off at a child. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's not going to help the situation. Not everybody's screaming. Right. Yeah. Now I'm upset too. And yeah. so I just. Maybe they did yeah. they lay the baby down in the aisle and just like fuck the baby. But yeah. like you said, I'm sure they're doing what they can. The baby yeah. Like, shaking with bouncing the baby. <laughs> No, don't shake the baby. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> Max, I don't know. They, I'm sure they're trying their best. And if they're not, because I'm sure parenting is exhausting and they tried and tried, and maybe they got tired and they were just sitting there looking at the baby cry. Right. Yeah. That's like, like it happens sometimes. It does. We're just going to deal with it when we land. Because yeah. ain't no way. I mean, I can try to like hold their nose and blow their mouth or something, but that's the best I can do. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing you can do. Like, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I don't know. This is kind of on the same subject, but not really. There's this guy who posted. Y'all probably seen this. It's he was like, oh, the flight attendant. I can't believe the flight attendants made my um, twenty-two weeks uh, pregnant wife or whatever get down on her hands and knees to pick up the popcorn that my kids mm-hmm. threw on the ground or whatever. And everybody was like, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> right. You're sitting up there posting the video or taking the picture. You could have got the popcorn. Why did you get on your hands and knees to get the right. popcorn? You know? Oh my gosh! <sighs> I need everyone to relax. Yeah, I really do. That's just horrifying. I know those parents were horrified. I can't imagine. I mean, at one point, my parents had three kids under four, and they said they tried to travel, and they said it was hell. Yeah, and you, you're ter- you're terrified because of what other people are going to think yeah. about your kids or how you're handling your kids. But how? I I I don't know. It's just there's no logic in that. Yeah. There's none. Like, just have grace. Lead with kindness. Like, think that these are people. Yeah. Like, you're talking yeah. to people. You could easily be screaming at your sister. Yeah. Or, you know, your cousin. Uh-huh. Or your friend. Like, there... He... I mean, he's probably had this situation. Right. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's... This is not... I don't know. People... And the thing <laughs> is, like, flights could maybe be better organized. Maybe there are certain flights for people who have sensory issues that need a quiet and dim flight. Like yeah. those are things that aren't unreasonable to ask for, but to yeah. yell at a flight attendant about it is ridiculous. Yeah. You need to take it up with the airlines. They can't do anything about it. Especially not mid flight. Yeah. So we are miles in the air. The fuck do you want me to do? Exactly. Yeah. Like, 
it just it's like he was frustrated and he just needed to get it out because yeah. there's really no solution yeah, yeah. just <laughs> screaming at the top of your lungs at another adult person they're better than me because I, I complain a lot about like how people at airports treat people any kind of way because they know that people are afraid to bucket them because they don't want to get on a no-fly list. Yeah. But in that moment, I would have took full advantage of that. I would have cussed that nigga clean the fuck out. 100%. And I would have put him on a no-fly list. No, I don't <laughs> think Absolutely. I I don't think I could have been a flight attendant. I mean, especially during like mask up, mm-hmm. yeah. right after COVID when people were not masking, I would not have been able and to And coughing on people on purpose. Yeah. Like they went yeah. through a lot of bullshit. Yeah. yeah. And it's just You're basically a fucking I mean, you're, 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 you have like five jobs, basically. You have to mm-hmm. be a server. You have to be an attendant. You have to like say, keep everybody safe and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, like you said, like during COVID, like people was putting their masks on just to get on the plane and then taking them off as soon yep. as they hit the air and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So they already have to deal with so much. And then all the emotional labor of dealing with people's attitudes. Yes. And you can't even walk out. Yeah, literally. If you were sitting in a restaurant, bitch, you could take that apron off and walk your ass yeah, out. Yeah, you can have a cigarette by the dumpster. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you're an international flight attendant, you your ass ain't going nowhere. Yeah. You're gonna be stuck in Abu Dhabi by yourself. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, not that this should be the basis of you being kind to another human being, but if shit goes wrong, these are the people that are gonna save your life. Mm-hmm. Right. So why are you treating them like shit? Because right. if somebody was acting a fool to me, and I was a flight attendant, and all of a sudden we're going down. Oh, I don't know where your oxygen mask is. Like, yeah. Good luck. I'm sorry. Life, life jacket. We don't have Hope a you're a strong swimmer, baby. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're always going to be out here like the yellow jacket. Because they do it. That's what you're doing me. It's above me now. It's, it's above, above me. me. It's above <laughs> exactly. Um, so, nice. yeah, no. I definitely think it's a crime. And it's um, a crime. The punishment, I don't know. Life management. And, the punishment is you have to drive everywhere you need to go. Yeah, did he get on a no-fly yeah. list? I, I guess they didn't say that. They did it, but... I hope that there were some ramifications because that's just that's so fucking ugly. It is. He's it's, it's, so is he. That's <laughs> funny though. That was a little funny. <laughs> like <laughs> last time I'll cuss you up. Right. <laughs> oh, we're gonna tell the baby shut the fuck up. It ain't, right. it ain't gonna understand. Like, no. <laughs> and that would have been me as a father to it. So what you want me to do? Right. I, I literally would be like, so what you want me to do? Smack the baby? Like, right. the baby yeah. gonna keep crying. Tell me. What, what should I do? Should I put okay. a pillow on the baby's face? Go, go fight the baby. Right. <laughs> like, just buy three, four more drinks and you'll pass out. You'll be all right. That's what I'm saying. Literally. I hate people. Well... <laughs> Where the aliens at? Come this get right. should, I know y'all this should let fun. edibles through with their Yes, we yes. all Please need to give everybody a fucking a complimentary on the plane. That's the way I would give if a baby was screaming and I'll be like, Damn, a complimentary, a, a complimentary, a couple gummies as you walk in. Right, like, everybody oh. would be chilling. Soul, soul plane, exactly. Soul Bring plane. it back. Bring it back. <laughs> oh, oh, well, that's another one for the books. Let us know what you think. Yes, please do. Find us um, online at Iana Killer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and Iana Killer Pod on Twitter. And you can listen to us everywhere, especially Apple, especially my fave, Spotify. <laughs> Just everywhere except Facebook. <laughs> Thank y'all, fans, for listening to us and sticking with us weekly. Yeah. Me and our Killer Bees. We love y'all. Love y'all. Talk to you next time. Bye. 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 